Four former Gonzaga Bulldogs are participating in the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas right now, and today we discuss their performance so far and what it means for their future in the league. Is Chet Holmgren a future superstar? Will Andrew Nembhard beat Indiana's backup point guard? Will Philip Petrusev and Joella Yai earn NBA contracts? Hear my thoughts here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. Terms and conditions apply. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day, as well as those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. We are very, very close to hitting the 800 subscriber mark, which is an incredible awesome number. I appreciate every single one of you, but the goal is a thousand. So we're still about 200 or so away. If you are listening to this and you have not done so yet, just go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags, find the channel, hit that subscribe button. All right. We're talking about the four Zags in the summer league today. Summer league, obviously an incredible opportunity for guys to boost or lower their stock, depending on if they were drafted or at least their odds of, of securing either a actual NBA contract or at least a two-way contract or a preferred spot in the G League, whatever it may be. Uh, We've seen a lot of players in Gonzaga's history have very strong summer leagues, have not so strong summer leagues, and see it have a a significant impact. Uh, Obviously, the primary focus for most in summer league is how the the new rookies look, particularly the high-end rookies. Of course, that's why there's been so much attention put on how Chet Holmgren has performed for Oklahoma City, which we're going to talk about here in the first segment. But there's also been attention on Jabari Smith Jr. at uh, with Houston, uh, with Palabancaro, who did not play on Monday evening against Chet Holmgren. It was going to be another Chet versus Palo matchup. Everybody was pumped about it. The first time since November, these two guys have played each other. Orlando opted to hold Palo out for the rest of Summer League. It's not a decision I would make. I understand that teams are, are don't want to have their, their prized new rookies get hurt before the season even starts. I, I totally understand that. As a Portland Trailblazers fan, I definitely get it. Shaden Sharp has already been injured five minutes into his first summer league career, and the Blazers have a long history of seeing their draft picks get hurt. Uh, but at the same time, like none of these rookies are finished products. None of them. Nobody. Even a lot of the second-year guys are not finished products. And so any opportunities to get these guys to get better seems like something you should be taking advantage of. Yeah, I'm a little bitter that we didn't get to see Chet versus Palo. I think that would have been super fun. It was definitely something I was looking forward to talking about on the podcast, but uh, alas, it is what it is. I will start with Chet here. Chet has obviously kind of been the talk of of Summer League in a lot of ways, which is not surprising when you're the second overall pick, when you were uh, a highlight reel type player. Uh, And that's what we've seen. He's played two games so far for Oklahoma City. He's averaging about 28 minutes per game, which is pretty good. Rookies usually play about half the game sometimes in Summer League. So up over 28 minutes, I think is solid. I think that's probably about what he's going to be throughout his rookie year. I would be surprised if he played a whole lot more than 30 minutes per night consistently as just a younger guy for a team that's not really contending. But I don't think it'll be any less than that either. They're going to get him out there. They're going to get him out on the floor pretty frequently. He's averaging 14 points, nine boards, 
at three blocks and two assists per game. He's also shooting 50, 40, 100. That's 50% from the field, 40% from three, and 100% from the free throw line. I'm going to say this caveat probably multiple multiple times in this episode, especially when we're talking about percentages. It's a very, very, very small sample size. It's two games. Every single one of these guys has played two games. So we're not talking about numbers that are really going to dramatically they're not necessarily super significant. The reason I bring these up for Chet is because he made it clear that one of his goals getting into the NBA is to be a 50-40-90 guy. Again, 50% from the field, 40% from three, 90% from the free throw line. Uh, That's a pretty, it's a rare accomplishment. It's something that is sometimes done by guys who don't play all that much, which makes a little bit more sense because it's easier to hit those high numbers of high volume guys who've done it. It's very rare. Steve Nash is a guy who's done it, but he's also a two-time MVP. So we're talking about like really, really good players to do that. Chet has the ability to do that. 90% from the free throw line is not easy. Uh, That's a very, very tough one. I think 50% from the field is something he's very capable of doing, especially if he scores a lot of his points on lobs and uh, easy shots around the rim. 40% from three, we know he's capable of doing that. Again, that's not easy. But it's, he's definitely capable of doing it. So I think the fact that he has hit those numbers quite easily through his first couple of summer league games, again, hard to glean too much from that after just a couple of games, especially when you consider that this competition level is better than college, but it's not the NBA yet either. A lot of the damage he has done has been against guys like Taco Fall, guys like Kenneth Lofton. Like he hasn't played against legitimate, like, even rotation NBA players just yet. I don't think that that's a reason to discount some of the stuff that he's done because he's done some really incredible things. If you haven't been watching, there's tons of highlights all over Twitter. Uh, there's highlights on the scorezagscore.com website. You can check them out there. He has been a human highlight reel for his first couple of games in Oklahoma City. We've seen him block shots at the rim against guys who are 100 pounds heavier than him, like Kofi Coburn, the big man from Illinois who got his shot rejected early on against Chet Holmgren in his first game. We've seen him go behind the back and then hit pull-up three-pointers, something he did not do at Gonzaga. I wanted point this out here because I've seen this comment on YouTube a few times. I've also seen it just kind of going through Twitter. People have seen Chet Holmgren's performance through the first couple of games, and one of the first things they think is like, oh, Mark Few used him incorrectly. There's probably a larger conversation there just in general, but Mark, I don't think Mark Few used Chet Holmgren incorrectly. Chet Holmgren also does not believe that Mark Few used him incorrectly. He went on Twitter and defended Mark Few, defended Drew Timmy, said no. Like, Drew Timmy was an elite player, is an elite player, high-level scorer, low-post player. Like, he should be the one the offense should be going through. And I, I don't disagree. Chet Holmgren, yeah, the pull-up threes are nice, but that's not ever been something that Mark Few has really encouraged his players to do. And that's still a, a lower percentage shot than going to Drew Timmy in the paint. Yeah, there was some times last year that Chet Holmgren kind of disappeared offensively and part of that may have been some strange or decision making by Mark Few some things that maybe I wouldn't have done and I I can understand a little bit of criticism there but I don't think that there's that Chet Holmgren having a few good games in summer league all of a sudden means that Mark Few just completely fumbled the bag or used him incorrectly I just don't think that that's necessarily true Uh, more good things for Chet Holmgren Uh, he's acclimating really well to his teammates And for Oklahoma City, many of those teammates are going to be his teammates going forward. Josh Giddey is participating in the Summer League. Giddey was very, very good for for Oklahoma City last year as a rookie. To the point where some people were kind of concerned, questioning why he's even playing in Summer League. Again, I think the more reps you can get your younger guys, the better. And in this case, having Giddey and Holmgren get familiar with each other, learn how to play off screens off each other, all of that stuff is, is 
very, very good thing for Oklahoma City's future. He's also acclimating well to his other teammates, Santa Clara guard Jalen Williams, who has looked very good through his first couple of games in the summer league. I think a guy who reasonably looks like he's he's going to pan out as the 12th overall pick, which, you know, he was a guy who was barely on the draft radar even after the season. Even after the year ended, there was not a lot of talk about Jalen Williams. Oh, maybe he's a second-round pick. Maybe he's a priority free agent or a two-way contract guy. And then he had a monster summer league. His measurements were through the roof. He has a huge wingspan, can jump out of the freaking gym. And so he got a ton of attention for that. And then he gets picked 12th overall after, again, being a guy that wasn't even on the draft radar. Now we're talking about a lottery pick. Uh, But he looks awesome. Alongside Chet Holmgren, I think that Chet is acclimating well with his new teammates, which is excellent. Uh, creating his own shot, I think that's huge. That's something that Chet, what, one of Chet's biggest skill sets is he doesn't need the ball in his hands to score. He doesn't need to be a high-volume guy in order to be a very, very effective offensive player. That's what made him so good at Gonzaga. That's what's going to make him very, very good in the NBA. And we've seen that already. If you give him the ball, he can create his own shot. He can hit a three. Even with a defender right in his face, he can go to the rim. He can do all of that stuff. But if he doesn't get the ball, he can still float to the basket. He can get offensive rebounds. He can uh, slip screens and and do alley-oop dunks. Like he, He's got a lot of things that he can do creatively on offense that don't require you to just give him the ball and get out of his way. That's not the way that he operates offensively. Uh, The bad stuff, we're doing good and bad for all of these guys. There's not a lot of bad stuff for Chet Holmgren. I think one thing that stands out is that he's turning the ball over a lot. That's not unexpected for a 19, 20-year-old rookie. Uh, He did have some turnover issues at Gonzaga. There was a lot of times where the high-low offense, he would just make a bad pass. Uh, Either he had the right idea and he just didn't execute the pass very well or he tried to force a pass that wasn't there. Uh, I don't think this is going to be a tremendous issue, and I think you're going to take Chet Holmgren turning the ball over a few times a game pretty happily if you're going to get everything else that comes with Chet Holmgren. But it is something that I know he wants to work on. He has mentioned it in post-game interviews. He has mentioned it on Twitter that he's trying to be turn the ball over less, take better care of the basketball again. I think it's a pretty small issue when you compared to everything else that Chet Holmgren provides, but you know, nobody is perfect and he's obviously got some 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 decision making skills and some fine tuning to work on. I think his passing skills are very good, but you know, there's just a few things that need to be tweaked here and there. Uh, the the other bad stuff, he did get bodied pretty hard by Kenneth Lofton uh, in in this I think his second game. With Oklahoma City, that got a lot of attention negatively for Chet. People concerned that, oh, this is this was our big fear for him. And, of course, if there's any inkling of Chet Holmgren getting physically pushed around, people are going to run and run and run with it because it's what a lot of people really want is to see Chet Holmgren not succeed because of his skinny frame because it's what they've been saying since he was like 16, 17, and they really want to be right. So they have to use every example they can find. Chet Holmgren's not going to guard people like Kenneth Lofton in the NBA. He, that's not the matchup that it's he's that, that he's going to have. For I like Kenneth Lofton. I don't want to say anything negative about Kenneth Lofton. He's a good player. He's a good dude. I don't know if he's going to be an NBA rotation player. That would be a little surprising to me. But hey, you never know. He's probably at least going to get some extended looks for it. But those are not really the guys that Chet's going to guard. He's going to guard the other big in that situation. He might get switched onto those guys every once in a while. And guess what? Even if he does, he's not going to get bodied every single time. We saw him go up against Kofi Coburn again, a hundred pounds heavier than Chet Holmgren, 100 pounds. And Coburn did a bunch of post moves, pushed him around, used his physicality. Chet didn't budge, didn't move at all, used his length, blocked his shot. I I think occasionally he's going to get pushed around. People like to use the example like, well, how is he going to be able to guard Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid? How does anybody? Those guys are MVPs. 
Jokic's a back-to-back MVP. Embiid is an MVP candidate who could have won it last year reasonably. Like, those guys don't get guarded easily by anybody. If your barometer for how Chet Holmgren needs to play defensively is he needs to be able to effectively guard Nikola Jokic, then I guess there is no good defenders in the entire NBA except maybe Rudy Gobert. That's it. That's a really high bar for Chet to, to have to reach in order for him to be considered, like, you know, for, for people to be willing to accept that he's a good defensive player. So I think he's he's in a really good spot. Uh, the last kind of tab here is Verdict. Uh, he looks like a future star. Uh, he really does. I, he looks more like less of a complimentary piece. And I think I, I've talked about this on the podcast before that a role player or complimentary piece is not an insult or not a way to disparage a guy's like overall ability. But Chet, I kind of thought he'd be a really, really high level role player because he doesn't need the ball in his hands to score. He's not like necessarily every team's first option offensively. But I think if he needed to be that, he has proven he can do that. The step back threes that we're seeing, the ability to drive to the basket, all of that stuff makes him look like a guy who could be more of a high volume scorer if you wanted him to be that. I still don't think that's the best situation for him to be in, but he could pretty easily be a guy who averages 17, 18 points, 10, 11 rebounds, three-ish blocks per game. And that's incredible. I mean, that's like all-star caliber numbers, defensive, you know, all defensive team numbers, depending on how the rest of his, you know, how his pick and roll defense is and stuff like that. So he looks exactly like what he's advertised to be. And when you're the second overall pick and the number one recruit in the nation, that's about all you can ask for. Like that's, that's a good enough space to be in by the time you're entering the NBA. is like, this is what we thought he was going to be. Right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to switch over to talking about Andrew Nemphard, Gonzaga's other player selected in the 2022 NBA draft. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. Which NFL stars move the betting line the most? Starting July 18th, Locked On gives you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Available July 18th on Locked On NFL, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're talking Andrew Nemphart here in segment two. Of course, Gonzaga's other rookie selected 31st overall in the 2022 NBA draft. A bit surprising to see him go to a team like Indiana, who is clearly in the rebuilding phase as opposed to the, hey, we're trying to win a championship phase. I kind of always thought that Nemphart would be a really nice fit for a team that is trying to win it all, a team like Golden State or Denver or Memphis, where he would be a third-string point guard, could potentially play some second-string point guard minutes. Maybe he's not quite a rotation guy, but he's right outside of it. He can give you minutes every single night if you need him to, and you just know you're getting a a stable point guard, a guy who's not going to hurt you too much. He's 
decent defensively. He's good enough offensively. Like that was kind of where I thought his trajectory would take him. But instead he ends up in Indiana, an Indiana team that within a week of the draft ended up trading Malcolm Brogdon from Indiana to Boston. Brogdon was the expected starting point guard for the Pacers. So now he's out. Uh, Indiana still has some other options to start there. TJ McConnell is probably going to be the guy there. Uh, they also have you know, Chris Duarte out of Oregon. He's not really a point guard, but he could play down there if they needed him to. Tyrese Halliburton, probably more likely to play point guard minutes. Ben Matherin out of Arizona, probably going to play more on the wing, but again, lots of guards kind of in that mix for Indiana. But Nemhard has, has been very, very solid. He's played two games again through the summer league so far. He's playing about 26 minutes per night again. You like to see those guys get a significant amount of run early in their their career in summer league. It makes sense that a player you drafted in the draft, you want to see as much of them as possible. So here he is playing 26 minutes per night. He's averaging nine points, five boards, and four assists, and also averaging one and a half steals per game. That is fantastic, doing a little bit of everything for the Pacers so far in summer league. Uh, the good stuff, he's shooting 50% from three. Now, it's one for two. So I don't really want to... to emphasize that point too much one for two on threes but it's nice that he's knocking them down this is the biggest thing for Nembhard. he has had one really successful outside shooting season and it was last year for Gonzaga and again he wasn't elite he didn't shoot 40 plus percent he was good last year as a three-point shooter the rest of his collegiate career he was not quite good he was a little bit below average as a three-point shooter so the biggest thing for me is can he consistently knock down open shots? Can he consistently knock down... Like, we know that mid-range is money. He's always been a phenomenal mid-range scorer. But can he extend that to the three-point line? Can he make defenses respect him as an outside shooter? Because if not, that's going to make his path to playing time in the NBA way, way harder. Other good stuff, he looks comfortable. He looks comfortable running the offense. This isn't a surprise to people who have watched Nemhard for the last couple of years at Gonzaga or people who watched him before that. At Florida, he's always been a, a comfortable point guard. He's a facilitator. He sees the court really well. Uh, he's a menace out of the pick and roll, all of that stuff. But he has not missed a beat doing that in the NBA. He looks totally smooth. He looks comfortable. He's running his sets. He's getting to his spots. He's distributing the ball the way that he should be distributing the ball. The bad stuff for Nembhard, he is turning the ball over a lot. Again, we're talking about summer league. He's got four assists per game, but he's also got three and a half turnovers per game. So... That's something he's going to need to clear up. He was not a big turnover machine at Gonzaga. I don't expect him to continue to be a turnover machine in the NBA. I think the summer league is going... There's there's more turnovers in the summer league. There just is because guys are not familiar with playing with each other. Players are less focused on winning the basketball game and more focused on trying to do whatever they can to make the roster. That means there's more miscommunications. There's less cohesion. There's less set offensive plays, which is just going to lead to more turnovers. So I'm not overly concerned about that, especially for a player like Nemhard, who he is best in set offenses. He's very, very good at running a set, at distributing the ball the correct way, and just kind of doing what doing set offensive plays. Summer League doesn't have as much of that. So for Nemhard to be having success through his first couple of games in the Summer League, despite playing in a system that is not really as conducive to his skill set, I think that that's, that's a plus. That's a, that's, I, I mentioned this in the bad, but that's actually kind of a plus for me. Uh, the other bad stuff, he's not finishing around the rim particularly well. He was one for five on two pointers in his first game. 
that's an area he's going to need to clean up. I think he's he's not a particularly big guy, although he's not undersized for a point guard. He's not incredibly strong. He, he was a good finisher around the rim in college, but again, he wasn't elite there necessarily. And that's going to be a skill set that he's going to need to have. He's going to need to be able to prove that coming off those pick and rolls, yeah, he can, he can pull up from 15 and hit that shot. Maybe he even starts showing more of the outside shot, which would be huge. His ability to pass out of the pick and roll, we already know, is, is fantastic. But there are going to be plenty of instances where coming out of the pick and roll, he's going to need to go to the basket and he's going to either need to draw contact and get to the line or convert the lay-in and if he's not able to do those things consistently enough that's going to hamper his ability to be a a consistent NBA player because teams are just going to let him go to the rim challenge the big man coming off the screen and if he can't if he's can't make them pay for that decision that's going to be a problem for him the verdict for Nembhard is pretty simple. Uh, he needs to finish more around the rim. Uh, he needs to, once we see him in a more set offense, I think we'll have a little bit better sense of his ability to take care of the basketball and knock down those outside shots. But if he can do that, I think he has a very, very realistic chance of being Indiana's, he might even be Indiana's primary backup point guard this next season. At the very least, he's probably a third string point guard. He's probably a guy who's in the rotation playing minutes every single night. For a team like Indiana, who's trying to rebuild, who's trying to cut costs, who's trying to save to get some higher draft picks in future years, it might make sense to play Nembhard quite a bit this year to see what they have in him, see if he's a guy that they want to build around for the future. All right, third segment, we got two more players to talk about, Joel Ayayi and Philip Petrusev playing for the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers, respectively. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but the MLB, WNBA, and MLS seasons are heating up into the summer months. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sport latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking Zags in the Summer League. Closing out the show today with two more Zags, Joel Iyayi playing for the Atlanta Hawks and Philip Petrusev playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. We will start with Joel. Joel has played two games with Atlanta. He's playing about 20 minutes per night. He's averaging five points, four boards, one and a half assists, and two steals per game. The good news for Joel is the good news that we always have for Joel. He's moving extremely well without the basketball. Again, he's a guy who who doesn't need the ball in his hands a lot to be to to have an impact offensively. He can move well without the basketball. He's a great cutter to the rim. He's great at coming off screens on the weak side. He's great. He's a good catch and shoot player. Like he is doing a lot of things where he can prove he can be a complimentary piece on the court, a guy who maybe goes three or four possessions without touching the basketball, but still ends up giving you points. He still ends up contributing defensively. He still ends up doing the things that you need him to do. I think the best thing we've seen from him so far is his ability to move well without the basketball. I think his defense has looked very, very good. That's something he was never a bad defensive player at Gonzaga, but... It was never a tremendous strength of his either, but one really easy way to get yourself into the NBA, I say easy in air quotes, is to play really good defense, to be an absolute hard-nosed, in-your-face defensive player. If he can kind of 
he's he's got the strength, he's got the size, he's got the build. If he can kind of craft his his game to be a, a knocked a, a lockdown outside defensive player, that's going to help him significantly because you can put him on the court. You know he's going to give you good defense. You know he's not going to need the ball in his hands a bunch to be effective offensively. He might knock down some open threes. He might make some backdoor cuts and get some easy lay-ins. He might grab some offensive boards and get some putbacks. That's another one of his strengths as well. Uh, he only has two turnovers. That's another one. That's a huge, huge plus for him as a guy who who he's not going to hurt you offensively. Again, you, he doesn't have the ball in his hands a whole bunch, but he's also not turning it over. He's not making mistakes with the basketball. He's not giving it back up to the other team. And then after his first game in Atlanta, Nick Van Exel, the head coach for the summer league team for the Atlanta Hawks, also a very long time NBA point guard, multiple time all-star. Uh, he praised Ayayi a lot. He talked about how smart of a basketball player he is, how much he helps them on the floor. So I, it can't hurt to have another guy like Van Exel in your corner and, and advocating for you as an NBA player. Uh, the bad news, he's 0 for 3 from 3. I, um, you know, again, we're talking about a small sample size here, but uh, that's, uh, that's a part of his game that needs to be there. In the, in the modern NBA, you need to be able to hit open threes. You, you just need to. You, you cannot, especially in, if you, unless you're over 6'10", you pretty much have to have an outside shot in your game. And, and Joel, he does. He, he's, he showed it in college. He showed it in the G League last year. It's there, but he needs to prove it. He ne- people need to see it. They need to know that it's there. If there's any doubt that it's there, everything else that he brings positively to the table gets a little bit wiped out by the fact that he's not a consistent knockdown shooter. Again, we're talking about three attempts through two games. This is a very, very small sample size. But in Summer League, you get pretty heavily scrutinized just based on a few games, which is hard. It kind of hurt him a lot last year, unfortunately. He had a bad Summer League. So hopefully he can continue to, to show some some improvement in that area. And then he's not really hunting his own shot again that's just not really a strength of his game. It's not. It's it was was an advantage for Gonzaga when they had so many other kind of ball dominant players that he could play off the ball. He didn't need the basketball in his hands to score. Uh, but we would like. I think you need to see him do a little bit more. Of that NBA teams want to see a guy who can go get their own bucket if they need to, a guy who who can dominate with the ball in his hands and can also dominate without it. And I think Joel hasn't quite showed enough of that yet. So that's my verdict on Joel right now. He hasn't quite done enough to secure a two way contract. Two way contracts are hard. There's only like four, 50 or 60 or so of them at, at a time. There's a lot of really good players who are just on the cusp of being NBA players. I think he's good enough to be a two-way player. I think he's good enough to be a end-of-the-bench rotation player or just end-of-the-bench player in the NBA, but he hasn't quite done enough to show that yet. So hopefully he has a, a few really good games in the last week here of Summer League and can kind of push the envelope a little bit and maybe get some more attention. Finally, we're going to finish the show out talking about Philip Petrusev. A quick backstory on Phil for those who don't remember. Uh, his final season at Gonzaga was the 2019-2020 season. He averaged 17.5 points, 8 rebounds per game, was all WCC Player of the Year. Fantastic year, starting ahead of a freshman named Drew Timmy at the time. Petrusev did not want to return to Gonzaga, but he was also not ready for the NBA. So he opted to sign a professional contract in Belgrade, Serbia with Mega BMAX, where he was the MVP of the league, averaged 24 points. Points, shot 42% from three, looked like a completely different player. He was going coast to coast. He was taking pull-up threes. Like, he was a completely different player. That led to him getting selected 50th overall by the Philadelphia 76ers in 2021. Philadelphia didn't have spot for him that year, so they sent him back over to Europe. He signed a one-year deal in Turkey. Didn't have quite as much success. There was a little bit of... The coach didn't like Phil over there and, like, straight up said it. Like, we're kind of happy he's not going to be on the team next year. Which is odd. I don't know the full story there. Uh, he had he was good. He averaged like six, 15 and six, I think, in like thirteen games when he played only twenty three minutes per night. So he he was very productive over there. But now he's back. 
He's here. He just had a great article with Keith, Com- P- Keith Pompey, excuse me, of the Philadelphia Inquirer talking about how I, I only signed one-year contracts in Europe for a reason. My goal is to be here. I came here to the Summer League to make the NBA roster. Uh, Philadelphia doesn't have any roster spots open. Both their two-way contracts are already gone. So it's going to be a pretty tough uphill battle. And quite frankly, Phil hasn't done enough in his first two games. Uh, he's only played about 12 minutes per night, which is part of the problem. He played, only played eight minutes in his first game. I think he played about 15 or so in his second game. He's averaging two points, two and a half boards, one and a half assists, and one and a half steals per game. Uh, he, yeah, he's not scoring the ball particularly well. Uh, the, the good news for for Petrusev, he's shown really good passing skills. That's something that he didn't really have at Gonzaga. Some people's criticism of him was that he was a little bit of a black hole when he got the ball on the block. Uh, And so the ability for him to be a little farther away from the basket, to look, to survey the defense, to make the correct passes, uh, to find open guys in the corner, that's going to help him a lot. That's a skill set that he needed to develop, and it looks like he has. So that's a big win for him. And I think he's improved on defense from from what I've seen of him in the summer league so far. He's he's got active hands. He's poked the ball away a few times. His footwork is good. His he has gotten stronger since he was at Gonzaga. He's still not a plus defensive player. I think if he was in the NBA right now, he would be a bit below average, but he can hold his own. He is capable of playing defense in the NBA. He's not going to get absolutely crushed on pick and rolls. Uh, He's maybe a bit of a liability there, but he can hang. He can handle his own. And I think that that's an improvement from where he was a few years ago and something he needed to improve on if he wanted to have any chance of sticking in the NBA. Uh, The bad, obviously, he's not playing enough. I think if you want to earn a two-way contract or an NBA contract, you need to you you have to show it on the court and he's not getting very many opportunities to do that. He also hasn't done a ton with the opportunities he's gotten. Uh, again, he played 16 minutes in his second game. And he only scored two points. That's not going to do it. He, he's not shooting the ball particularly well. Perhaps he's pressing a little bit. It's hard when you're in the summer league, you're, you're fighting for your NBA career and you're only playing in like a few small minute spurts. Like you got to do, you got to try to do everything you can to show off. And so we've seen him miss some shots that I think he would normally make. Uh, we haven't seen that outside shooting yet. In fact, for Petrusa's entire career, dating back to before Gonzaga, at Gonzaga, in Europe, and now, he's only really shown the outside shooting one time, and it was in that that very magical MVP season in Serbia. He was a really good three-point shooter there, and that was part of what led Philadelphia to draft him, but he needs to be able to show that consistently. If he can't knock down threes, he's a six foot 240-pound, kind of wiry center who who can't stretch the floor that's not going to stick in the NBA it's just not like that's not the I mean Drew Timmy is bigger and stronger and a better low post score and he's probably not going to stick in the NBA unless he can at least capably stretch the defense a little bit and so for Petrusev if he can't do that that's going to be a big problem for him so uh, that's the verdict and that's it he, he needs to show more of that he needs to show more shooting he needs to show more playmaking I think a little bit more of an ability to do something with the basketball away from right underneath the basket basically uh, if he doesn't do that stuff He's probably going to be back in Europe. And there's nothing wrong with that. He can go back to Europe. He can play another very successful season. He can try again. Uh, I think Philadelphia is invested in at least trying to make this work with him. And I think if he, if they were to release him from his contract and he were to become a free agent, he would come back for Summer League next year. He'd get some looks. Like, people want... I, th- I think that there's there's enough belief in Petrusev that teams are going to continue to give him a shot. But there are still some holes in his game that if he does not correct them or is unable to correct them, it's probably going to prevent him from being a guy who sticks in the NBA long term. 
All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the new website for my written contact, scorezagscore.com. Just go there. You can see all of the articles that we're writing, three or four per day on average. Uh, we got more great stuff coming later this week. We're going to talk more conference realignment. We're going to talk to a fun guest. We got a lot of good stuff coming right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Hit that subscribe button there if you have not done so yet. Finally, thank you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.